read the Bible. This is why we pray. This is why we fellowship with each other. This is why we open our hearts to one another in accountability because I want to know Christ. That was Paul's all-consuming passion. It was the glorious ambition for his life. Everything about his days was about knowing Christ. And as a result of that, he goes on in verse 14. He says, one thing I do. And we'll get to that in a second. But two things I want to bring out, two thoughts here as we begin. Everyone has one thing that makes everything seem like nothing. Every one of us has one thing that makes everything else seem like nothing. And the default, if you can't think of that, is that default is me. I'm that one thing that makes everything else seem like nothing. It's one thing in our lives that drives us. Okay? One thing, it's, it, it, for, for Gollum, it was my precious. It was that ring that caused him to become this completely other person. And he would do anything and everything in order to have that one thing. If I were to ask you, what's that one thing in your life? Would you be able to readily identify that thing? Maybe if uh, you're a student, you can ask your parent or your, your closest friends. Hey, in this person's life, in your friend's life, what's the one thing that drives them to do everything that they do? If you're, a, if you're married, your spouse, if you've got roommates, ask them. What's the one thing that means everything to this person in such a way that everything else means nothing to them? I think for us, it's easier for us to spot that in other people than it is maybe to see it in ourselves. It's not hard to see in President of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, what is the one thing that drives his life, the glorious ambition for his life? It's power, isn't it? He wants power. He wants to accumulate power so that everything else, starving children, family members, none of that stuff means anything to him. All he wants is power and more and more and more of it. The Kardashians, what is the one thing that the Kardashians want more than anything else in life? It's fame. It's to be popular. It's to have a million likes. It's to break the internet. It's to have all of these things in order for people to know who they are. The New England Patriots. What's the one thing that drives the New England Patriots? It's a Super Bowl win. We want a ring. That's all we want. But hey, you know what? Sometimes it's hard to win the Super Bowl when we don't know what the other team is going to do. And so, hey, Maybe we just need to videotape their plays, and then we can win the Super Bowl. That helps. Hey, you know, it's hard to win the Super Bowl if the ball is too hard so we can deflate the ball. All of that in order to win the Super Bowl. It's one thing in their lives that they want above anything else, and it causes everything else to seem like nothing. What's the one thing in your life that drives everything that you do that doesn't make sense to other people? We look at these people I just mentioned, the Patriots, Kim Kardashian, you name it, whomever it is, whomever it is to ones who don't share that one thing, those things seem crazy. Why would they do that? Why would they live that way? Because to them, this one thing becomes their all-consuming, all-driving passion that fills their life. What's that thing in your life? That other people might look at you and say, man, why do they do that? 
Some of us have something in us that causes us to compromise everything that we are in order to have that thing. It causes us to hear something on Sunday and to leave all of that behind in order to get one other thing. For some of us, we would do things compromising our bodies. Smoking drugs. Giving our bodies to things and to people, loosening our morals in order that we might have that one thing that we swear would give us life. And other people look at you and they say, why would they do that? Why would they do that? But we give ourselves to these things because we think it's going to make a difference, because we think it's going to satisfy us. And if we could ask a simple, practical question of application, has that been working out well for you? Whatever that one thing is in your life. For some, it's to advance up our corporate ladder. For some, it's to be rich. For some, it's to be famous. For some, it's to be popular. For some, it's to be accepted by the, by the right group of people. And we would do things that we, we grew up in our mind saying, I would never do that. Only to find ourselves doing these very things and then going to bed at night not satisfied because the one thing that we've given everything for isn't giving us everything in return. But what was it in the heart of the apostle, the one thing in his life? It says here in verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. And everything in light of that became nothing. He says in verse 7, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. Like everything that the world loved about Paul. Everything that the world loved about him and everything that the world loved, think about the things that the world loves about you, that you're beautiful, that you're funny, that you're willing to do anything in order to be accepted by the, the, the popular crowd, that you're willing to, to work late hours, that you've got a lot of stuff in your bank account, that you've got the best home, you've got the best car, you've got the best wife, you've got the best boyfriend, whatever it is that the world says you need to have, he says, in light, he said, I've had all of that stuff, and in light of Jesus and knowing him, all of those things are nothing compared to knowing Jesus. And he was conquered, and his heart was dominated by that one desire to know Christ. And people looked at him and they're like, man, you had all of these degrees. You had everything that the world wanted. And you're saying all of that is loss compared to knowing Jesus. And it didn't make sense because all of us have one thing, one thing in our lives that makes everything else look like nothing. And to those who don't believe that that one thing is everything, to them, they consider what you're doing to be foolish. And so it was that the ones who were dancing seemed absurd to the ones who did not hear the music. Do you hear the music of the gospel that rang so loud and clear in the eyes of the Apostle Paul that causes you to say, everything that I once held dear is nothing compared to knowing Jesus? Like, that's what I want to live my life for in 2018. Whatever it takes, I give everything in order to know Jesus. He's not saying, I want information about Jesus. He's saying, I want intimacy with Jesus. I want to know Jesus. So if, if you take in Harvest 201, you know this. Every week we sing the same song every week. And it's a song that's based on this passage. It says, all I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own, all I once thought gain, I've counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this 
Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. And I see it every week as we go through these 12 weeks of Harvest 201. First week we sing this song. People have gotten information about what the most important thing in spiritual life is. It's about relationships first with God and then with other people. They sing this song, all I once held dear, built my life upon. And then we go through week after week, week after week of going through this. First, it's information. But in time, as they begin reading the word of God, they begin reading the gospel accounts of John. They begin getting to know this Jesus, not just knowing about him, but knowing him in an intimate way. And then we come into class And we sing week two, week three, week four, week five. The voices and the volume gets louder. The hands begin to raise. The tears begin to fall. And people begin to realize, I'm not just singing about someone I know about. I'm singing of someone that I know in my heart of hearts. And I'm falling in love with him. This was the all-consuming passion of Paul's life. And he said, nothing else matters in light of this Jesus. What is the one thing in your life that you would sacrifice everything for? Because when Jesus becomes this treasure, then sacrifice becomes a pleasure. We don't talk about anymore, I have to do this. i got to go to church. Man, I have to wake up and make it by 10.30. No, we don't talk about what I have to do. We talk about the joy. We don't use the language of sacrifice. We talk about the language of I get to do this because I know Jesus for whose sake I've lost all things and nothing else matters in light of that all-surpassing beauty of knowing Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? Or are you okay simply knowing about him? If you're okay simply knowing about Jesus, here's the way it plays out. You come to church and you get excited. You love getting the information. You like hearing a message, but there's no ownership over your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is filtered through your pastor preaching to you, and because you hear a message, you think I'm getting closer to Jesus. That's knowing about. That's not knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus is you say, I want to know him, and I will put in the time and the effort. That's why I read the word of God. That's why I pray to God. That's why I worship him on my own, because I want to know Christ. How much did Paul want to know Christ? He said, I want to know Christ so much, even the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Like, I want to suffer if that means I can know Jesus more. Are you willing to suffer Whether it be persecution, whether it be waking up early, whether it be eating strange foods on a mission trip, just so that you might know Jesus more. And are you willing to do that? Is he the one thing, Christian, in your life that means everything? Is your life strange in the eyes of a watching world who does not know Jesus? A few weeks ago, uh, pastor Lim, Kyungsoo Lim, who was a pastor in, in Canada, was doing a work, humanitarian work for the sake of the gospel in North Korea. Uh, and he, was, uh, he came to our church because he was captured and he was imprisoned. Uh, I forget exactly how long it was. It was, over, you know, it was over a year, a year and a half or so he was in, in prison. I forget how exact time, but he, he, he talked about how um, isolation 
meal after meal, and he counted the meals, thousands of meals in isolation, uh, hard labor in camp. And after, it was 30 months, 30 months in a North Korean prison. He came back home, and his, his wife said to him, you spent 30 months sentenced to hard labor in the worst prison, in the most oppressive regime in the world. But you have no sign. There, like, I don't see any trauma in your life. And he said, I learned what the Bible said, to be thankful in every situation and in all circumstances. And then he made a list of 20 things, 20 reasons why he was thankful in the midst of a North Korean jail in solitary confinement for 30 months. One of the things that he said was being in prison, I was able to finally share in the suffering of my Savior Jesus. Now I know, even though his unjust, unwarranted suffering my suffering in light of that was just a feather, he said, compared to that. But I could know Jesus a little bit more because I was in prison in North Korea. And for that, I give thanks to God. When knowing Christ is our one thing, when anything is our one thing, obstacles become opportunities for that one thing to become more clearly grasped in our hearts. He said he got sick and he had to go be hospitalized. He said, but that hospitalization, in that hospitalization, I read the Bible from morning until night. And I prayed from morning until night. And I got to know Jesus in a way that I had not known him before. Because for him, the one thing that mattered was to know Christ. It wasn't his comfort. It wasn't his security. It wasn't to get out of this place. It was to know Jesus. And everything served that one glorious purpose, to know Christ more. We all have one thing that makes everything seem like nothing. What's that one thing in your life? That's the first question, the first thought. The second thought is living for one thing actually causes us to do two things. Living for one thing causes us to do two things. Verse 10 tells us that he lived for that one thing, I want to know Christ. But then in verse 13, in the middle of verse 13, he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal. You know, there's another place where uh, you're looking for one, one thing. Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And he gives two things, love God, love your neighbor, because you can't do one without the other. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting the past and straining towards the future, because you can't do one without doing the other. Right? These are two sides of the same coin. I think as we look to this new year in 2018, like I said, we've got a lot of thoughts about 2017. How do we relate to the past? What are we supposed to do in light of 2017? My uh, five-year-old son, Elijah, uh, a few months ago, he was running around playing with, uh, with, his, uh, with his older sister, Manny, and, and he tripped and he fell, and his face fell under the, under the sidewalk, and he, he started bleeding, and, he, and he, uh, uh, his tooth got loose. And so we took him to the dentist, 
And the dentist said, yeah, his tooth should not be loose, obviously. Um, it shouldn't be loose. It's loose because he fell. He said, don't wiggle that tooth because it's not supposed to come out until, that tooth is not supposed to come out until he's about six, six and a half years old. And if he pulls it out now, then uh, the other teeth are not formed fully and it's going to uh, grow in improperly. And so uh, we said, okay. And so we would be very gentle as we brushed uh, Elijah's teeth. Um, few weeks after that, um, remember Elijah was uh, in the bathroom, and he was looking at his teeth, and he started wiggling, and he said to me, Dad, uh, I've got two loose teeth now. I said, oh, Elijah, I said, Elijah, don't wiggle your teeth. Remember what, what the dentist said? You're not supposed to wiggle them. You're not, they're not supposed to be loose until you're six and a half, and you're only five. And he said to me, Daddy, I can't change the past. <laughs> I was like, What? Where did you learn how to say that? He's such a philosopher. He's so smart. Where did you learn that? Daddy, I can't change the past. He's right. He's right. But how are we supposed to relate then to the past? Because here's, here's what Paul says. He says, forgetting what is behind. Right? Forgetting what is, what is behind. I think a lot of us would want to forget 2017 maybe. It was a hard year. It was a difficult year. Uh, our team didn't win. You got dropped by your girlfriend. I don't know. Whatever happened. 2017 might have been a hard year. Maybe for others, 2017 was an awesome year. Oh, it was a great year. I got into college, and I got my 4.0, and I got a new job, and so great. What does he mean when he says forgetting what is behind, both the wins and the sins of our lives? He doesn't mean to wipe the hard drive of 2017 clear. He doesn't say that because in a lot of other places, the Bible actually says, remember the past. Remember the former things. What is he saying? He said, you have to understand, but he said, don't live in 27. Don't live in your past. Don't let your past keep you from moving forward, and don't live in the memory of the past all the time, right? He says, in order for you to strain towards what is ahead, you have to forget what is behind. There was um, uh, a few years back, I uh, had a particularly difficult uh, season uh, in, in life, um, probably what I would consider to be a, a pretty colossal failure as it related to uh, ministry. Um, I remember meeting with uh, one, of my, one of my mentors. He was a pastor from out of town, and he, he came in town, and we were eating at a, at a sushi restaurant in, in, in Dr. Phillips, and we were talking about this, about this incident. And he said, um, you know, I think one of the hard things that you need to do that you maybe don't want to do is you need to go back and at least one time, just one time, said, you need to relive that incident, to go back to that place and to replay the events of what happened. And then as you do that, you have to begin to reflect upon that. What are the lessons that God is teaching you through that? What are the things that you need to learn? Because you see, in our failures... God has a lesson in our successes. God has a blessing. But there's always something that we need to learn. And he said, if there's a lesson to learn and it was your fault, you need to repent of that. Right? You need to repent of things that you did that you should not have done. And you need to repent of things that you did not do that you ought to have done. So we revisit, we relive we uh, reflect, we repent, and then we move forward with refocus. 
the same thing. You know, that might be a good thing for you to do with your accountability groups. You know the things in your life from 2017 that you want to kind of gloss over and erase and run away from? Oh, yeah, that was a bad moment in my life. I messed up in that area. To one time with somebody, right? Go through and revisit that, relive that, reflect upon that, repent, learn the lessons, right? You know this, right? Stupid people don't learn from mistakes. Smart people learn from our own mistakes, but wise people learn from the mistakes that other people have made. But we're always learning from the failures of our past. Paul is saying we've got to learn. We've got to forget about that. Don't be grounded. Don't be be living in the past because you've got to strain forward for what is ahead. You can't press forward if you're always living in the past. And I think some of us do that. We can't get over that mistake that we made. We can't get over that relationship that shouldn't have been. We can't get over that mistake that we made. We can't get over that incident that happened. We can't get over that choice that was made for us. And we're stuck. He says, you cannot. One thing I do, if I want to strain for what is ahead, I need to forget what is behind. I've got to move forward. I've got to lift up the anchor, be released from the shackles and the fetters that bind me to my past so that I can move forward. Why is he wanting to move forward? Because of this glorious prize. I want to know Christ. And that's why he longs to move forward. When he says, one thing I do, literally it's a continual present tense. So he's saying, one thing I am doing and I will continue to do. So he's saying, I choose to do this every day of my life. He's in prison right now. He's not saying, hey, one day, y'all, when I'm out of prison, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to seek after Christ. He's not saying that. He's saying, even in prison, right now, what am I going to do? What am I going to do in prison? I'm going I'm to know Jesus more. I'm going to write a letter to the church in Philippi. I'm going to tell all of these people in jail around me about the beauty of Jesus. One thing I'm doing, I'm going to forget about these chains, and I'm going to press forward in knowing Christ and making him known. So I'm not going to make excuses for why I can't do this. I'm pressing on because every day, right, because every day, There's more of Christ to be known. You know why we're so addicted to Korean dramas? Why are you addicted to Korean dramas? Why are you addicted to Netflix? Stranger things, isn't it? Strangest thing. I could tell you 13 reasons why you're addicted to those things. I don't know why we're... Because there's a false... Well, maybe not a false... There's a promise that the next episode is going to be better than the last. They always leave you with this cliffhanger, oh my goodness, or in Korean, oh my God, what's going to happen now? What is going to happen? I can't wait for the next week to come out. And that's why we binge watch. Some of us wait until the 13 seasons, uh, 13 episodes are done, and then we watch them all in one night because we can't wait another week. Did you know before streaming services came, before DVD, before Blu-ray, my parents, your parents, some of our parents, when they wanted to watch Korean videos, man, they had to go to a Korean grocery store and then to wait for VHS tapes to come out every week. It's crazy. Like, it's crazy what they would have to do. All driven by this promise that the next chapter is going to be better than the one before it. Isn't that why I I said this a few weeks back, but we can't wait to be the first ones in line to watch the newest Star Wars movie or the newest 
Marvel comic movie or the newest whatever, Fantastic Four or, or, or what have you. Because we believe that what lies before me is going to be better than where I came from. Now, what if we really believed that this were true with Jesus? What if we believe, guys, that every Sunday when you came, that this Sunday is going to be the best Sunday of your life? Then I think maybe more of us would be here when we start worship service at 1030, don't you think? If we really believe this in our heart of hearts. Right, nobody goes late to watch a movie because you want to make sure you see it from the beginning. Why are we so cool being late for church then? Because we don't really believe that there's something amazing waiting for us every time we come to join with the people of God. If our deepest desire is, I want to know Christ, that we would come and we would pray ourselves up and be so anxious and so eager to not miss anything. Man, I want to be here. Instead, our attitude is just another Sunday. And the most important decision is not how close can I sit or how early can I come. It's what am I going to wear? Which headband should I wear today? Which hair clip should I wear today? You know who talks like that? My daughter talks like that. That's not us who are mature in the faith. should be different with us, shouldn't it? If really our desire is I want to know Christ. Man, I don't buy that. Some of us, are, are, we can't move forward in our relationship with Jesus because we're constantly watching reruns of an old program that we watched 10 years ago and we think that's the best that Jesus has to offer to us. How many of you guys would do that with your favorite TV shows? Watching reruns of your favorite Korean drama, episode 8 of the second season. We're on episode 9 now. We're on episode 15 now, but we're watching episode 8 because episode 8 was so awesome. I love this one. I just love this one where young kisses sung and they get married. This is so beautiful. Like we're stuck watching reruns because we don't believe that there's something better for us. That's the way we often live our Christian lives. But Paul says, no, it's not like that. Your, better day, your best days are always ahead of you as a child of God. There's always so much more. To, Jesus is not like knowing your spouse where the more you get to know him or her, the more you get to know that girl that you met at that party or that boy that you met online, the more you get to know him, the more you realize their idiosyncrasies and they're not all that great. The more you get to know Jesus, the better he gets. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. We sang that and we believed it when we were little, but do we believe it when we're older? I remember having this conversation. I always remember not because I agreed with this person, but because I disagree. I could not disagree more vehemently with what he was saying. I was meeting with a guy who was one of the first EM English ministry pastors of a Korean church in America, and he had done youth ministry and and, and adult ministry and all kinds of overseas ministries, and and we're sitting at the old crazy buffet in Altamont Springs, and he was telling me, okay, this is what what I've learned through ministry years. Youth ministry, man, our young people are passionate. They're fired up. They don't really have all of that much maturity, but they've got this excitement. Then when they go into college, that maturity, if they can discipline themselves, they can get really fired up for God because they're in, they're in close proximity with other people. They've got time. They've got energy. They've got, they've got passion, and they can change the world. Then a lot of times when they become single people, they start working. They start making money. They've seen more money in one paycheck than they've seen in their whole lives, and then they begin to lose steam. And then when they get married, adult ministry is just about taking care of their needs. 
Somebody gets sick, you're there for them. Someone has a new home, you go and you pray for them. Just about being there for the special moments in their lives. They've pretty much plateaued in their spiritual growth after that. And I remember thinking to myself, that's not what I signed up for when God called me into ministry. That I did not sign up to be a minister of the gospel and to give my life in order that I might run a maintenance ministry. If I really believed that older people cannot grow, I wouldn't be doing this. If all it is is just being there for the moments in their lives to what, to, to, <laughs> somebody said this is, what, this is what being a minister is, to hatch them when they're born, be there when they're born, to be there when they get married, to be there when they die, right? to hatch them, to patch them, to match them, to dispatch them. That's what ministry is. If that's all ministry is, man, I don't, that, that's not what I'm giving my life to. Paul said, listen, every day of my life, I'm giving myself to know Jesus more. Every day I'm pressing on in this upward journey because I want to know Christ more. And I believe with all of my heart, this ought to be the trajectory of every one of our lives. That there is no plateau. And we're constantly seeking more of Christ. Listen, you as a youth student, you as a college student, you can be fired up for Jesus, but show me how much you love Jesus when you're 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. That's what it means to follow Christ. That's what it means to follow Christ. We've got one of these house churches, the Osaka House Church. I think the average age, can I say it? The average age is probably pushing 60 years old. More than half their members are 59 or 60 or older. But four of these members were in our Harvest 201 class. And out of the four of them, 12 weeks, 48 weeks, only one person missed class. 47 weeks of attendance out of 48 weeks and because he was out of town, I think. Every week they would come early to class. They would set up the chairs. They would set up the tables. They'd ask them, how are you doing? And they'd come straight from work. One of them, Suji, wearing her postal outfit. Her husband, Nathan, wearing his M&M Mullins and Mullins uh, fencing shirt. Right? David and Margaret Fong wearing their accounting attire. <laughs> and they would come early. And every week they would memorize their verses. And they were amongst the, well, two of them were amongst the highest grades in the class. And every week they would turn in their homework. And this is what the homework was amongst many things. They, they would always turn in their homework. And one of them, Suji, you've heard from her a few weeks ago. The, the assignment is to write a Bible summary. Yeah, you know what a summary is? It's objective. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. Jesus came to this earth. But after every Bible summary, she would interject in there something like, I love Jesus so much. I can't believe Jesus would do this for me. I'm so thankful that he died for me. Why would Jesus suffer for me? She would always interject these things because she could not help but to talk about the Jesus that she was falling in love with each and every day of her life. That's the older she gets, the more she wants to know Jesus. That's all of these folks. The older they, and they're running laps around some of us younger people, guys. Don't tell me that the better days are behind us. Don't tell me that the best days of our spiritual life were when I was young, when I was in youth group, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager. That's, that's a lie from the pit of hell. There is no reason why we ought not be seeking more of Christ in our lives every day that we live. Because that's our inheritance in Jesus Christ. It says, I want to know Christ more. 
every day because you believe that every chapter is better than the next. When Olivia reads books, I know some of you guys get angry about this. When Olivia reads books, she gets so excited at the end of every chapter that she's like, I'm just going to cut to the chase. I can't wait to see what happens at the end. And she goes to the last chapter and she reads it. Some of you guys get angry at her for doing that. That spoils everything. But she reads that and she's like, oh my gosh, that's what happened. She gets so excited about it. Here's the last chapter of our lives. That one day this Jesus that we sing about, that we read about, that we know in part... One day we're going to see him face to face. The one, he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul could never forget that 30 years to the day that he wrote this, he was arrested on the road to Damascus, and a, and a life that should have never been saved was completely transformed. He could never get grace out of his mind. And he said, if he did that for me, for me to live then is Christ, and to die is gain. If there really is a God who saved me when there was nothing good in me to save, if he said of me, for me to live is Paul and to die is Paul's gain, then I want to live for that. I want to know that kind of a love. And he pressed on towards that. Here's how our story ends. That one day we will see the one who died for me, who said over us, for me to live is my people and to die is their gain. And we will see him face to face. And there, everything that we've done in this world for Christ, we will be rewarded for and will be given a crown. And he says, in light of the beauty of Jesus, we will cast down our crowns before the Holy Lamb of God. That's the way our story ends. That's the way the gospel ends. That's the way our lives end. And in light of that beauty, in light of that perfection, I want to know Christ more. And I implore you that you would want to know that Jesus more. That we would lay aside our distractions. That we would throw aside everything else that doesn't keep us running on that straight path towards Jesus. That we would lay all of those things aside. That this would be the year of unprecedented growth. We get to December 31st, 2018, and we would say, man, I I love Jesus so much more than I did on January 7th, that first Sunday, because I made a decision that my life would never be the same. And that we would press on to know Jesus more. That your life would be weird in the eyes of this world. Because all of us are living for something, for one thing that makes everything else seem like nothing. Jesus saw it. Paul saw it. They heard the music of the gospel, and it caused him to dance. This year, my friends, one thing we do, let's dance together for Christ, his gospel, to know him more. Let's pray. We reflect upon the word of God this morning. I want to say, guys, we're going to make commitments, we're going to make resolutions, and we're going to fail. But can I still encourage you? I used to go through this period of cynicism where I said, you know what, I'm not going to make resolutions. But listen, here's a reality. If I make a resolution now to read the Word every day and I fail on Wednesday, for those three days, I will have come to know Jesus more. Can we make some commitments to the Lord this morning? It doesn't have to be huge. For me to think every day from now until December 31st, I'm going to read the Bible every day. 
Can I tell you something? By the mile, it's a trial. But by the inch, it's a cinch. Start day by day. Today, this is my decision. Today, this is what I choose. Today, I'm going to spend a chapter reading the Word of God. Today, I'm going to spend five minutes in prayer. Today, this is my decision. Lord, I want to follow you. I want to know you. Lord, let this be the year of unprecedented intimacy with Jesus, unlike anything I've ever known that blows away my greatest moments of the past. Out of the water, I'm pressing on to know you more, Jesus. Let's pray for just a couple moments like that. Pray for just a couple moments like that right now. As we prepare to come to this table of God's grace, can you pray for just a minute or so? Are there areas in your life that are displeasing to the Lord? Let's confess these things. Let's repent of these things before the Lord. Let's turn away from those things so that we might know Jesus more. Let's lay these before the Lord in glad surrender. When Jesus becomes your treasure, Sacrifice becomes a pleasure. It's my pleasure, Jesus, to lay down my sins of laziness, of pride, of self-dependence, of self-righteousness, of lust, of impurity, of gossip. Lord, I surrender these to you, and I turn from those so that I might follow you, that I might live in holiness and purity and encouragement, uplifting others through the language of my, through the speech of my the words that I say. Help me, Lord, to follow you. So let's pray for just half a minute right now as we commit our hearts and surrender to the Lord before we come to this table. Father in heaven, thank you you so much that your son Jesus saw the glory of God and the salvation of souls to be more worthy than his own life. The cross foolishness, people don't understand it. But to those of us for whom it has become the one thing that defines our lives, we give everything to know the one who gave his life on it for us. So as we come to this table, may we experience the grace that we need today. Thank you so much. We love you.
because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name.